Uh, well, thank you, uh, Pastor Dan, and thank for the words of encouragement there. And I was going to say, uh, I was going to bring, I wasn't, I was going to bring it up that this has been, we've been here for over a year now, and I just want to say thank you to everybody. You guys all have been very encouraging. Uh, a lot of this has been new and different uh, for Erica and I, okay? It's, uh, it's my first time living up here in the Midwest, living up here in Minnesota, and uh, there's been a lot of different and uh, new things, but it has all been good, and it's all been encouraging because of you all. You guys have all been uh, kind to us. So I just want to say thank you to everybody. You guys are, have been great to us, uh, so uh, thank you, and keep being kind to us as we continue being here. Uh, but let's just begin tonight with uh, just a word of prayer, and we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you so much for everything. We thank you for uh, saving us. We thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. And uh, we are just so grateful for, for our church and how you have placed us here to serve and to worship together. And we leave this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Back when I was in high school, uh, my parents began looking for a new family car. Uh, the van we had could no longer be fixed, and at that point, it didn't make any sense investing in a dying vehicle. So, we all began looking for a new car, or at least new to us, and uh, my parents drove, drove around and window shopped at dealerships, while my sister and I went online and looked at Craigslist and eBay. And after some time, I eventually came across one of the best deals ever. Uh, I found a van that was in great condition. It was everything my family was looking for. And the best part was that it was thousands of dollars. It was going for thousands of dollars less than what it was worth. So, as an eager 16-year-old, I emailed the seller and informed them of our interest and asked, when could we meet up so we can test drive the car and do all of those things, which I thought was no big deal. I emailed the seller and, and they responded by saying, that unfortunately, he is not going to be able to meet up. Uh, to, he was not going to be able to schedule a meetup because he was in the military and was about to be deployed. But he still wanted to sell the car to us. So all we needed to do was send him $2,000 in advance as a deposit, and then he will send the car to us, which I never really understood how, but he was going to send the car to us, and we would have one week to test drive the car, and if we liked it, we can buy it. If we didn't like it, we can return it. And uh, if we didn't like it, of course, he said he would give us our $2,000 back, uh, and, and etc., and all those things. So I picked up our laptop, I ran to my parents, and I said, I picked up our laptop, I ran to my parents, and I said, I have found the best deal we're ever going to find, and we have to buy this car. All right, so we have to buy this car. He says we basically have no risk involved. My parents then said, in response, in, in a very kind and, 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 uh, and parently manner, they said, there is no way we're sending that person any money. Can't you see it's a scam? To which I replied, Mom, Dad, I, I know this sounds different. I get it. I, I, know, I know the internet thing is still a little new for you, but this is probably how people buy and sell cars. I, I remember telling them this with my siblings watching. And, and I said, Mom and Dad, uh, you know, this might be how people do things nowadays. To which they responded once again, there is no way we're sending, we're sending them any money. Can't you see? It's a scam. And I wish I had believed them right away, but, but to be honest, it took a call to the Craigslist Support Center and hearing one of the representatives say 
this is a typical internet scam, we'll handle it from here, for me to finally realize that I was being fooled. And it was at that point in my life where I finally uh, understood the popular phrase, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. You see, I was deceived and almost became a victim of an internet scam, all because I put my faith and trust in, so- in, in something that was wrong. And in our text for today, we are going to see Jesus speak to people who claim to have believed, but they too have placed their faith and confidence in the wrong thing. So, let's dive into, let's dive into our text for today. We're going to be in John chapter 8, and uh, we're gonna, I'm going to begin reading from verse 30, uh, but we're going to jump into our text, and I'm, and I'm going to address our first point for tonight, which is going to be the mark of a true believer. So we're in John chapter 8, verse 30. And it says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What we just read it's, is towards the end of a large discussion Jesus has been having with the Jewish people. During one of their most important holidays of the year, it was called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And within this discussion, Jesus has, has, has woven in some great claims of who he is and what he is doing. Claims such as he is the source of living water, He is the light of the world. He is perfectly obeying the Father's will, and so on. And as we just read, many people believed in him. But this isn't the first time people have believed or followed Jesus in the Gospel of John. In John 2, 23, a group believed in Jesus there, but that faith turned out to be superficial faith. In John 6, thousands of people followed Jesus, and in fact, want to make him king. But once again, they too had shallow faith. But what about these people? What about the people in verse 30? Do they have true faith? Are they real believers? Well, that's what Jesus is going to reveal to us, uh, and that's what Jesus is revealing to us, and he does that by first pointing out the mark of a true believer, which according to verse 31, the mark of a true believer uh, is abiding in Jesus' word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The word abide here could also be translated as remain, continue, hold, or keep, but the meaning is the same. True believers are marked by perseverance. A true believer believer will continue in the message or teaching of Jesus. Sorry, the mark of a true believer is perseverance. Uh, A true believer will continue in the message or teaching of Jesus and what is, and what is the message? Well, the message is that Jesus is the light of the world. The, the message is that Jesus is the source of living water. The message is that Jesus perfectly obeys the Father's will. At the very least, it's that message. But the fact is true. Uh, the fact is that a true believer will remain in Jesus' words. A true believer will continue in the teachings of Jesus even when they lose their jobs. A true believer will remain in the teachings of Jesus even when they suddenly lose a family member. A true believer will continue or remain in the teachings of Jesus even when they graduate high school or college. In every circumstance, the true believer will persevere. They will abide. And abiding is much more than just reading your Bible every day or going to church every Sunday. 
Anybody can do that. Unbelievers can do that. And we know unbelievers can do that because we all know people who have grown up in the church, who have gone to Awana, who have gone to Sunday school, who have, gone, who have been part of the youth group, who have gone to a Christian school, and as soon as they left home or as soon as they graduated college, they walked away from the faith. Anyone can be forced to read their Bible or, go, or to go to church. That's not necessarily what abiding looks like. Abiding is an internal reality. A person abides when they treasure the message of Jesus in their hearts and desire to learn more of it. Sure, abiding can take many forms, but it's primarily an internal issue. And this is not, and also this is not a condition. It's not if, if you abide in my word, then you will be my disciple. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying you, you have to do this to be saved. He's saying the saved do this. It's a description of who or, or what you are. For example, I'm, I'm not Erica's husband only when I wear this ring. I'm not Erica's husband only when I post a, a nice picture of us on Instagram or Facebook on, on our anniversary. All right? I'm Erica's husband. That, that's, that's, that's my description. That's who I am. No conditions attached. And Erica is, is my wife. No conditions attached. That's one way you can describe her. You see, a true believer perseveres. It is a description, not it is a description, not a condition. But then in verse 32, Jesus moves to the future. He says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Continuing in the teaching of Jesus is what a true believer does, but continuing in the teaching of Jesus also enlightens us to the truth. And the truth in the Gospel of John is not. It's not just information, and it's not just head knowledge, but it's more, it's more associated with the person of Jesus. And it is that truth, it is that person that Jesus tells us will set us free. And we'll, we'll see more of this freedom in, in the next couple of verses. But for now, let me just ask you some quick questions. What usually comes to mind when you think of a true believer, of a real Christian? Do you think of somebody who perseveres, who, who abides? Or do you think of someone who dresses like you? Or who sounds like you? Or who thinks like you? When we think of a Christian, what comes to mind? This is really important because what comes to mind is probably what we tell other people. And we have to be very careful not to add anything to what Jesus says a true Christian is or looks like. Because when we begin to add things to what a true believer looks like, we begin to get, we, we see false believers. And that's what we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about the mark of a false believer. And I'm picking back up in verse 33. And it says in verse 33, They answered him, the Jews who, who had believed, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So what is the mark of, a, of, of, a, of an unbeliever, of a false believer? Well, let me just tell you right away, the mark is pride. Pride in something or someone besides Jesus. For these people, it was their pride and their connection to Abraham it, they, 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 didn't want to, they didn't want the freedom Jesus was providing because in their eyes, they were already spiritually free or spiritually privileged. That's why they said, we have never been enslaved to anyone. They were not rejecting the fact that they had been politically enslaved in the past because if they were, everybody would have known they were lying. 
I mean, the Jewish people were enslaved to the Egyptians, to the Assyrians, to the Babylonians, to the Syrians, and at, and at that time, to the Romans. They were not speaking in political terms. They knew what kind of freedom Jesus was talking about, and they said they don't need it. Why? Because they were descendants of Abraham. They considered themselves spiritually free or spiritually privileged. They view themselves as children of the kingdom, and when you're a child of, and when you're a child of the kingdom, you don't need a savior. You see, pride is the mark of an unbeliever because it blinds us to the truth. And pride can take many forms. It sometimes looks like the loud, annoying person who always likes to hear their own voice. That's one way. But it can also look like the quiet person in the room who doesn't say anything out loud, but in their hearts and in their mind, they are judging everyone and complaining about everything. It can also, it can even look like someone who serves at every church gathering because if they don't do it, then it won't be done right or it won't be done the way they like it. You see, pride can take many forms, but at the end of the day, pride blinds us to the truth. For the Jewish people here, they were blinded to the truth that a biological connection to Abraham does not guarantee spiritual freedom. John the Baptist alluded to this in Matthew 3, verse 9. He told the Pharisees there, Do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And Jesus is going, to, is going to spend the remainder of his time uh, in John 8 explaining that while they may be descendants of Abraham, they are not children of God. Pride, blinds, pride blinded them to the, to the truth that a biological connection to Abraham means nothing if they don't share in the same faith as Abraham. And pride also blinded them, blinded them to the reality of their slavery to which Jesus addresses in verse 34. Jesus answered them, answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus in verse 34 reveals the nature of their slavery, and it is that they are slaves to sin. You don't just, you don't just sin and walk away. You, you can't just indulge yourself in the flesh and act like nothing happened. The truth is that sin takes you captive. It's not a drive through You don't make your stop and go. It's a prison that you cannot es- escape. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You are addicted. You are addictive to sin. Addicted to sin because it is addicting. And the more you sin, the more enslaved you become. That is the true condition of the, Jew, of the Jews there and the condition of everybody before we come to know Jesus. We are addicted to our sins. We are enslaved. We are, we are imprisoned by our, by our sin nature. And pride, pride will not let you accept this. That is why pride is the mark of a false believer. So pride, not pride, so the mark of a true believer is perseverance. The mark of an unbeliever is pride. Now we will finish by looking at the assurance for all believers. And I'm going to pick back up in verse 35 now. In verse 35 it says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Eric and I bought a house earlier this year, and it has been, it has been a great experience so far. 
But to be honest, the first couple of weeks after I signed the papers of buying a house, I was kind of nervous all the time. I was nervous because in the back of my mind, I thought, what if something goes wrong? What if the house catches on fire because I did the electrical work in the kitchen? What if the, the roof collapses because I removed part of, part of a wall once again in the kitchen? You know, what if something goes wrong? I was filled with, with, with these thoughts and I was nervous, probably, probably more anxious than nervous, thinking about what if something goes wrong? Well, well, if something goes wrong, now I have to fix it or find somebody else to fix it. But while I was nervous, that was true, that was part of what I was feeling, while I was nervous, I also experienced other feelings towards owning a house, and I would describe those as confidence mixed with, 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 with privilege. Because I can do whatever I want, and nobody can say, no, it's my house. I can, I can, I can uh, add some lights here. I can remove a part, a part of a wall there. I can paint a wall whatever color I want, and I can do all those things because I am the owner of the house, and I have the right to, to do so. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. He first begins and says, and he says, look, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The slave doesn't have permanent rights within the house, almost like someone who rents. They, they, they can't just do whatever they want. They have limits. But guess who does live in the house forever and has permanent rights within the house? Jesus, said, Jesus says, the son the son has all the rights in the house and the, because the son remains in the house forever. He is the owner of the house. And because he is the owner of the house, he can do whatever he wants, including setting us free. And this freedom cannot be taken away or lost because if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I got saved in high school and never really struggled with, with, uh, with doubting my salvation but I know many godly people who have. I had, some of them were friends in college. Some of them were, were fellow peers in seminary. And some of them are fellow co-workers here at church. Uh, but, and, and there are many reasons why people could doubt their salvation. One reason could be because they, they have a hidden sin in their life and they feel the conviction of it. Another reason could be because they, they're relying on, on how they view themselves instead of how God views them. I mean, there, there are a lot of reasons why people may doubt their salvation, but there is one thing that almost every story has in common. And it is that they have come to believe, for whatever reason, that their freedom or their salvation is more associated with how they look, sound, or feel than with who has set them free. So, where does our assurance come from? Well, it doesn't come from our connection to Abraham. At least I don't think many of us would claim that. And it doesn't come from, from how well we were, it doesn't come from how well we remember the prayer we did when we were seven years old. It doesn't even come from our personal con- convictions or standards. Our, our assurance comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. It's based on who he is and what kind of rights he has. And as, and as the Son of God, he has all the rights in the world. In our text for tonight, Jesus spoke with a group of people who put their faith in something or someone, but it wasn't Jesus. How about you? I'm sure we have people here who are false believers. You come to church every week, you listen to a sermon, you may even say amen. Not many of us, but you may even say amen. 
but you are trusting in something or someone else besides Jesus. If that's you, I say don't let your pride keep you from knowing Christ. Now, while I'm sure there are people here who are false believers, I'm also sure there are people here who are true believers. And to you, I say, don't forget who saved you. Maybe you don't remember when you got saved. Maybe, maybe you don't know anything else besides Fourth Baptist Church. But that's okay. Because our salvation does not rely on how good our memory is. If that was true, then I would be doubting my salvation every single day. I, and our, our salvation doesn't rely on how good our memory is or, or this building but it relies on who saved us. So ask yourself, do I believe now? Is Jesus real for me today, and do I want to remain in him forever? And if that's you, and if that's true for you, then believe in the words of Jesus, that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. What is a true believer we can, we can, we can, We can color, we can paint this many different ways, but according to John Chapter 8, verse 31 to 36, a true believer abides in the, in the teachings of Jesus, and a true believer finds their security and their assurance in Jesus because Jesus has set us free. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for everything you have given us. We thank you so much for just uh, the salvation you, uh, you have allowed us to have. And Lord, I just pray for clarity. I, I know uh, that the Christian life sometimes isn't always clear. Uh, we may not know what, what job to have. We may, not, we may not know where to move. But Lord, there is one thing we can't have certainty on, and there's one thing we, we can be sure of, and it is that you have saved us. If we are truly saved, we can know this. Uh, I know many friends who have struggled with the assurance of their salvation. I know many people here who have struggled with that as well. And I just pray, God, that you can remind us that it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with how good we are, how good our memory is, but it has everything to do with your Son, with Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us and who set us free. Lord, help us find that assurance if we're saved and if we're not saved, if we're false believers, and, and if, we just, if we just come to church every Sunday, but never make it real in our hearts. Lord, to those people here, I pray that you can convict them, that you can save them, and that they can, that they can come to know the truth. They can come to know Jesus. And we thank you so much for everything, God. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the people here who, who are encouraging uh, to, to, to us, to encouraging to one another. And we thank you for everything you've done for us. And we'll leave this on. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.